Okay. Nice to be back with you. We're from the West now, but nice to be back with you and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as most of you know, we have a massive study ahead of us this weekend. I think it's nine sessions. And at this time, they're going to need handout number one. I don't know if that's been accomplished. Uh, God's orderly plan. That'll kind of be your master chart to follow along. I'll get mine out and you can get yours. We'll be looking at that especially in the first session tonight and after also. There'll be some other handouts before the weekend is over. So while you're getting your handout, you can also have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 1, please. The book of Ephesians and chapter 1. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Because I'm going to be up here for a long time in nine sessions. I thought having a table to sit now and then would be nice, you know. Uh, kind of give it a learning atmosphere and rest. But As you're getting your hand out, you'll see it's labeled the divine plan <clears throat> Revealed in the orderly layout of the Bible. God's eternal plan. And uh, you could spend weeks on this. We're just going to be looking at some of the highlights. Giving you a big picture where the Holy Spirit can help you apply things in between. We won't cover every line, every truth. But we want to do, cover the structure of God's eternal plan. So you're receiving a two-sided sheet. It will be kind of your template for, for the weekend. Wait till you all have them. That's a nice one, but that's not... Okay, you're getting both right now. Okay, that's good. You're getting one for next session too. But you want the double-sided one for this session. Not the one with all the pretty boxes on them. But uh, the double-sided one that says the divine plan revealed in the orderly layout of the Bible. That's the one we're going to briefly consider for now and look at it more later. So, uh, at the top of it, you see on page one, you're writing uh, the title page is, of course, page one, uh, you see the council. Uh, this plan began before there was a world. It's the eternal purpose of God. And I'd like to show you the first part first. It is kind of color-coded in blue. The eternal counsels of God. This wasn't just one day He decided in the, middle, in the middle of the world. And it's always been a plan. So going, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1, looking at the counsel in eternity past of this eternal plan. We'll break in at verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. 1 4 of Ephesians, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before us him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we saw the terms before the foundation of the world. 
long before Genesis 1. Okay? We, we saw that the council was not a board of directors and reaching a consensus. In verse 5, it was the good pleasure of His will. It's what God willed in His heart to happen. He was His own counselor, so to speak. It's of God. It goes on to say, in verse 8, "...wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in Him." So you see, there's, it's headed somewhere to a dispensation called the fullness of times. But it began in eternity past. And it's the good pleasure of His will. In fact, looking at verse 11, Ephesians 1 and verse 11, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to His purpose, to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will." And so we see it is the purpose of Him. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. And it came from His very own will. It's His eternal plan. Speaking of His Son, the Lord Jesus, 1 Peter 1.20 says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Uh, you'll see other scriptures and lines up in that opening heading. Uh, the uh, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God and so on. But looking at one more key verse here. Going to Ephesians chapter 3. Going to chapter 3 now in Ephesians. And uh, looking at verse 11. 3.11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. Want to meditate on that? So when did it begin? Eternal means it always was. You know? <laughs> His eternal purpose and its purpose played out in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're dealing with something big here. God's eternal plan in eternity past, which He purposed in Himself. Now, this eternal plan takes you somewhere. If you go to the back side of your sheet, the back side, you'll see at the bottom it says consummation, again the blue code, eternity future. We already read in Ephesians 1 that it's headed for the dispensation of the fullness of times. This is headed somewhere. And to see that, go to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to do a lot of turning tonight. For I want you to see this structure in Scripture. I just don't want to spout it off. I want you to see it and try to get a handle on it. So we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, looking at verse 23. First Corinthians 15 and verse 23. It says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself 
be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. And so as we read in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, then cometh the end, when Christ has conquered every enemy and lifts up a perfected kingdom to God his Father, that God may be all in all. And that's what we have on the back side of your layout here. It's called the consummation, then comes the end. So we begin in eternity past. It takes you to eternity future, the eternal plan of God. Now, having said that, what, what you have in between is how God got from eternity past to eternity future, how He gets there. And it's the orderly plan revealed in the orderly layout of the Bible. God has revealed it to us. So I want to speak a few minutes tonight. Uh, the first session is highly technical, but I think it will help you understand. The means God chose to re- unfold His plan, the means. Is it just scientific observation? We, we can look at certain things and say, well, i got it figured out. This is the plan because this looks like this and this is made of this. You will see it has nothing to do with scientific observation. Is it just human logic? Well, this makes sense to me, and this is what I think it should be. Is it popular consensus? This is what most people agree on. This is the majority opinion. None of those things are the means in which God chose to unfold this plan. So let's spend a couple minutes on the means God has chosen to unfold His eternal plan. Let's first start in the Old Testament and go to Deuteronomy 29. Book of Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. Take you down to the last verse. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed... Belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are secret things God has not been pleased to tell us, but He has revealed things to us. So that God's means is God's revelation, Him revealing His heart, His truth. We'll see that in a minute back in the book of Ephesians. Not not scientific observation. It is direct revelation of God. If He doesn't reveal it, you're not going to know it. And so it's the revelation of God. In the Old Testament, the the main people he used for that was prophets. They're known as the Old Testament prophets. So go with me in the Old Testament to one of my favorite books. What book do you think that will be, brothers? Book of Amos. (laughs) And so if you go to Amos chapter 3, please. The book of Amos and uh, chapter 3. God speaking of Israel that nothing positive or negative is going to take him by surprise, for God's revealed it to him. And he says this in Amos 3 and verse 7. Amos 3 and verse 7. Amos 3, verse 7, he says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. So God chose various prophets at various times to reveal His secrets that you would never know. And the only way you ever will know them, if God reveals His truth. And so God has given us this by divine revelation. 
And that's why it's absolutely true, and that's why it's for sure, and so on, through the prophets. But then we get to the New Testament. We have not only prophets, we have the apostles, the delegated messengers of the risen Lord Jesus. I want to take you back to the book we are already in. If you'll go to Ephesians chapter 1, please. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. Looking at the means God has chosen to, reveal, to disclose this plan, its divine revelation. We already read about His eternal purpose, but I want to go back to verse 8 of Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 8. Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God has not kept it all to Himself. He's abounded toward His apostles in wisdom and prudence. We can know now. So that verse 9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. He didn't keep the whole thing secret. God has revealed Himself to us. Revelation. Look, look, look at chapter 3 of Ephesians. We continue with this thought of Revelation. Book of Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, look at verse 2. Ephesians 3 and verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he may know unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Not by Bible school, not by consensus, not by human meditation and logic. How that by revelation, divine supernatural revelation from God's heart himself, not only to the prophets, but now more to his apostles. So that these revelations in the New Testament concerning Christ now who has come, the New Testament will call them mysteries. Mysteries. Uh, looking at verse uh, 4 here. Ephesians 3 and verse 4. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. This is something we're to understand. The mystery of Christ. You know, what, what does it mean? When the Bible uses the word mystery, uh, what does it mean? Well, usually we'll say, it's a mystery to me. It means, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Well, that's the basic meaning of it. Because God did not reveal it right away, people would say, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know. But once he reveals it, you now can say, I know. But at one point in history, you wouldn't have a clue. So it would be a mystery to you. So it's called a mystery that's now revealed. Look, look at verse 5. Verse 5, speaking of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other ages was not made known. Huh. Daniel wouldn't know it. Elijah wouldn't know it. Huh. You say, well, they didn't study their Bible enough. No, God hadn't told them yet. And so through the apostles, he begins to reveal further truth by revelation. And this is how God has done it. I think you can see by now, it is progressive revelation. He didn't do it all in one day. The prophets gave us secrets. You know, Moses and Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. But they didn't get it all. And then comes Paul and the apostles. And they get a whole lot more. And they unfold the meaning of Christ and the beauties of Christ, and so on. What, what is called in verse 8? The unsearchable riches 
of Christ. And so, on your sheet here, it's one of the words I don't have on here. If I redo it, it's going to go on there. But if you go to the back side of your orderly layout sheet, and you look at number six, the church, go down to number six, the church, to the letter J as in Jesus. It says, the new race has ability to love and understand God. And you can put right there, if you're taking notes, you can put a dash or something and write mysteries. That we now know the mysteries. You know, the New Testament, what it does is it reveals Christ. Christ, of course, is the Son, but He also is likened to light that is the Son. You could be out at night, but if you've never seen this world, you wouldn't see the flowers. You might be able to feel them and the mountains. and You, you could sense that they're there, but you could not see them in all their glorious beauty at night. But when the sun and its rays come out, Suddenly, all its beauty is now magnified. He said, wow, I see. That is Christ. Christ now has unlocked the Old Testament. Now he says, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. And he now reveals things that were unseen, mysteries that were unseen. And, and as the apostles are given this, they call it the unsearchable riches of Christ. So if you take a prison, brothers and sisters, you know, a prison. What happens when you run a sun ray, a beam of light through a prison? Well, you see seven colors, don't you? You could probably quote them back to me, huh, Johnny? <laughs> Red, orange, yellow, <laughs> indigo, blue, violet, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you see all these magnificent colors. And, and so what the mysteries act at is God's prison. You take the truths of the Old Testament. You take the person of Christ. But now you get the meaning of what this all meant. And all these magnificent colors of God's heart and grace and righteousness come out. And so that is the means God has chosen. He has chosen revelation, but it's progressive revelation. Starting with the prophets. Continuing in the New Testament. So that no one book is going to give it to you all. He gives you piece by piece by piece. So this particular outline sheet is based on progressive revelation. You see it's divided into seven categories. Let's just review them quickly for tonight. Get an idea of the structure chart we're looking at. You see number one there on page one is creation. Okay. Number two will be corruption. Number three will be consolidation. Number four, a covenant is introduced. Number five, commandments for the nation of Israel. Going to the back side of the page... On my handout, it happens to be page two. Uh, I didn't do it as neatly as yours were done. But um, uh, 5B is Christ. The Messiah has come. That sunbeam has come. And, and then 6 is the church age. Number 7 is the conquest. So the kingdom comes before the consummation of all things. Now, now you'll see Scripture references out of, after each of them. Creation is Genesis 1 and 2. Corruption is Genesis 3 through 8. Consolidation is Genesis 9 through 11. Covenant to Abraham is Genesis 12 through Exodus 18. The commandments to Israel is Exodus 19 through Malachi, most of your Old Testament. And then Christ on page, the backside, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the church is the book of Acts through Revelation. And then the conquest is Revelation chapter 4 through chapter 20, before you get to the consummation of Revelation 21 and 22, so that we were given this by the means of not only revelation, but a progressive 
revelation. Now, before I move on to the tools he uses to give us this progressive revelation, God uses two main tools, two literary tools, to, to give us this revelation. Before I move on, any brother of the assembly tonight, any brother have, have a quick comment on what has been said so far in the introductory thoughts? I'm sure there will be times for questions, brothers, before this series is through. I'll probably generate more questions than I answer, but you know. Okay. Now, I want to go to the two main tools God has used in revealing His heart, this revelation. They're listed on here for you. If you look at your chart, you'll see a right-hand column of a gray box with blue lettering. After every one, number one, number two, to the far right, you see that gray box with uh, 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 titles in it. Those are dispensations, the seven dispensations. Tomorrow, if you come, you'll get a dispensational chart. And we'll say more tomorrow. But, but one of the tools God has used is dispensations. Now, where are we at? We're in Ephesians 3. It's right in front of us, so let me read it for you here. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to reread verse 2. Ephesians 3 and verse 2. It says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given unto me to you, word, the dispensation of the grace of God, some will have the administration of the grace of God. Now, when we usually think of the word dispensation, you think of time period. Well, that's right, but the word doesn't mean that. The word doesn't, dispensation doesn't mean time, though they happen in time. Dispensation, an easy way to remember it, it has the word dispense in it. You know? Go to a vending machine and it dispenses you some candy or Coca-Cola or whatever. It, it gives you something, okay, if you make the right deposit. God is dispensed. What a dispensation is, it's a revelation, it's new revelation that God has dispensed or given to a generation. And that new revelation will govern the way they live. It's a new revelation that has not been given before. But God's going to entrust. He's going to give it. And then man is responsible to be governed by that. And you'll see there's at least seven dispensations where God dispensed something new. Here we read of the dispensation of the grace of God. It means something given, something entrusted. While it doesn't mean time, something entrusted. But what he entrusted, why, happened throughout time from Genesis on. So they happened in time periods, but it means something dispensed, a new revelation dispensed that will govern the man, way man will live. Look, in fact, here in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And uh, look at verse 8. Chapter 3 and verse 8. Unto me who am less than all the saints, than the least of the saints, I should say, least of uh, all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Did you see that phrase in the middle of verse 8? Is this grace given? This revelation of the mystery of Christ was revealed, it was given to Paul here. This whole thing is given to him and he transmits it to others. So it is something given. A dispensation has been dispensed by God. A new revelation, how that by revelation he may know unto me. The context defines the word for you. And you will see there are seven major times that change the way men live and women live that God dispensed new revelation. Now, I'm just going to run through them tomorrow. We're going to look at them a little more in detail, okay? 
But here in creation, you see that the right-hand column, you see free will. Man starts out with a free will. Then later in time, he is given a conscience, number two. And that will be revealed things by conscience, okay? Number three, the introduction of human government. All, you know, the world didn't start with human government. But, but it's interjected. It's dispensed to mankind in, in a period of time. Number four will be promise through a covenant that we'll say more about later. Promise. Number five, when Israel is now out of Egypt, will be introduction of the formal law under the rule of law and order. Law will be number five. As you go to your back page and you look at the church, by the way, Christ was under law. He was connected with the dispensation of law. You'll see that there. and We'll see it later. But then you go to number six. The church, you're not under law, but under grace. Romans 6.14. The dispensation of the grace of God. God dispensing the revelation of the mystery of Christ and this whole thing called grace that accepts sinners into God's family. The, the, the dispensation of the grace of God. And then number seven, it hasn't happened yet, will be the kingdom. You see that number seven. When, when he'll rule directly on planet earth and there'll be goodwill toward men and peace on earth. Uh, the kingdom. So those are seven Ruling factors, uh, new revelations that God reveals that affects the way men govern. Uh, it's important to have a handle on them. And we'll learn more about them tomorrow. They didn't all happen at once. You know, they didn't all happen. In fact, we're only in number six, okay? They didn't all happen at once. But they came step by step in this progressive revelation. So that one of the tools that God uses is to dispense revealed truth and call it an administration or a dispensation. And it's good to see the major ones in the Bible so you know where you're at, what you are to be involved in, what you're not to be involved in, etc. It's essential. It's called rightly dividing the word of truth. That's all I'm going to say on dispensations tonight. That, that's one of the two tools. Any quick comment, brothers, on dispensations? Okay. The second tool is also on your sheet here. And they'll be highlighted in yellow. It's covenants. You look at number three. You'll see a covenant to Noah. It's highlighted in yellow. All the covenants are highlighted in yellow. Number four, the covenant of promise to Abraham. Number five, A, the covenant of law. Then you'll see under B, a land covenant, an annex. You'll also see under C, the new covenant. You'll see under 5A, number F, David's covenant, David's mercy covenant. And so there's the, then they're repeated, they're fulfilled on the second sheet and so on. But, but those are the covenants. That's another tool God has used. Now, a covenant is a, is a legal agreement. It's more than just revealing truth, just dispensing truth. Sometimes they overlap. But it's a legal thing. You know, let me define it this way. Somebody can promise, I'm going to be your friend. I'll just be there for you. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And so that will change the way you live. And they're newly added to your life. You've got a close friend. But there's no legal agreement there, is there? But we do have a relationship, brothers and sisters, that is a covenant and it's a legal relationship. It is more than just I'll be your friend and it's called marriage, isn't it? The wife of thy covenant, Malachi 2.14. You know, a friend can have a falling out because there's no legal binding. And unfortunately, friends can fall out. 
But when the wife burns your bagels or whatever she burns, there's no, there, there's no separation. It's, it's a legal co- covenant. You are legally bound. There are promises. There are terms. And the other tool God has used is not just dispensation, dispensing revelation, but in many cases, He's formed it into a legal binding union where you can always expect God to be faithful to His covenant. He says, I will never break my covenant with you. Judges 2.1. Uh, men, they're a different story. But it's legally binding. Therefore, it will happen exactly what God says. You, you know, uh, again, there, there's different types of promises. You can promise somebody, I'll take you out to dinner. you got to work late. Call them up and say, hey, I'm sorry. Can I have a rain check? No, 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 no problem. But when you make a covenant promise to your spouse, for better or for worse, till death do us part, or the Lord Jesus comes, you can't say, I changed your mind. Can I have a rain check? I changed my mind. It's legal. It's binding. And so we, we have a covenant. Now, that's the legal side of God. And it's, it's going to be tremendous, brothers and sisters, because God never breaks His covenant. Once you know the terms, you can say God will always work within that framework. He, he, he's a just God. You say, but I thought He was a God of love. He is, huh? Can you have legality and love together? Hmm? The example I just gave you does, doesn't it? Marriage. <laughs> that's love. But it's, it's cemented by legality because it's a deep love. I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to say forever. I'm willing to make it legal and not walk out because it's a, uh, it's a deeper type of love. And yes, God is love, but He's also legal. And it will be the covenants here. So you see these different covenants. They're on page one and they're on the back side. They'll be playing in things that are happening now that will happen. Uh, and we're going to also, Lord willing, in these nine sessions, somewhere along the line, Consider these covenants. So that so far, we've looked at the eternal purpose, the consummation, at least the fact that it exists. We've looked at the means, revelation, divine revelation, that are called mysteries as the New Testament comes along. Revealed truth. We've introduced you to the fact, and on this sheet, you want to become familiar with it, of dispensations. Periods where God has revealed this truth that will govern man. And in some cases, they become a legal binding thing called covenants. So dispensations and covenants are tools that God uses to reveal His purposes and to fulfill His purposes. Now, before I move on on our introductory lesson, if you have a question on covenants, well, not a question because we haven't even got to them yet, but anything you want to say on the introduction. I am. I am. And it will come as the weekend progresses. Yeah. Uh, Brother John, I don't know if I introduce or talk about when they begin and end. Uh, that's part of the teaching and absolutely important to understand. Thank you, Brother. Okay. Uh, looking now at the vehicle God has chosen to use. We have these covenants. We have these dispensations. We have this revelation. But what vehicle, so to speak, is he going to play this out through? And on your chart, that will be in green. And it will be the word seed. You'll notice all of the seven movements here have a green title that will use the word seed. That's a biblical word. Your modern translations will say offspring. The older translations will say seed. Okay? And uh, go with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. 
book of Genesis in chapter 3. Way back in the beginning of man, after the sin of Adam and Eve and God bringing his punishment and he's addressing the serpent who deceived Eve. And the Lord God says this to Satan the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's going to be a warfare between Satan and his seed and the woman and her seed, her offspring. And so we're introduced here to humanity, the woman's seed, the woman's offspring. And although Satan will uh, 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 bruise its heel, it says a prophecy here that the woman's seed will bruise his head. That's a fatal blow. That's a fatal blow. And so even though there's sin and the enemy here, there's a prophesied victory, but it's not going to come through an angel. It's not going to come through a spirit being. It comes through the woman's seed. So it's going to be a human, a human person that brings victory over a spiritual being like Satan. So we read of her seed. And the vehicle God has chosen is humanity, not birds, not trees, not animals, not spirit beings, beings or angels or extraterrestrial aliens from different planets. It's, it's human beings, her seed. Say more on this over the weekend, okay? But this, this goes throughout the Bible. Jump with me, if you would, to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13, please. And we'll be going over all this seed probably sometime tomorrow. And the progression of this seed, it's fascinating. But looking here at Acts chapter 13, in the middle of one of Paul's messages here, in verse 23, speaking of Jesse David's father, Acts 13 and verse 23, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, Raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. It's a human seed, David's line. He's raised a Savior, human. He was also God, but Jesus. And so we're going to see that Jesus is, is the seed here. And so we're dealing with a seed, an offspring of humanity. Go to the last book of the Bible. It's still talked about. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And in Revelation 12, I'll, I'll take you to verse 17. Revelation 12, in metaphoric language here, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The remnant of her seed. And so the vehicle that God has chosen to reveal His eternal plan will not be a spirit being, not to say they're not servants in this, but will be her seed, will be a human. And we'll have a lot more to say about that tomorrow. And you'll see here what happens to the seed. and It just flows throughout the Bible. It's a tremendous study. And the progression of the seed, the vehicle that God has chosen 
to bring about his eternal plan, a human. Which leaves me with one more point in our opening uh, introduction, and that is the geography of God's plan. The geography of God's plan. And simply put, brothers and sisters, you could call it the tale of two cities. The tale of two cities. One will be the city of man, okay? The city of man. The other will be the city of God. The geography. On this sheet, let me just show it to you on this sheet. It'll be color-coded for you. Jerusalem and Babylon. Babylon is in red and Jerusalem is kind of in magenta purple, whatever you call it. And at times you'll see in the points, you'll see like in number three, you'll see Babylon in red. In number 5A, you'll see Jerusalem in that magenta color. On the back side in 5B, you'll see Jerusalem. You'll see Jerusalem above in number 6. Number 7, you'll see Babylon again in red. And you'll see Jerusalem, okay? And then the new Jerusalem in the consummation. Those are two major cities in the Bible. Let's first look at Babylon. You'll find it in Genesis. You'll find it all the way at the end in Revelation. Uh, go with me uh, uh, to Genesis chapter 10, please. Book of Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. Given, giving the table of the nations here in Genesis 10, how they were populated and formed and Genesis 10, and I'll break in here at verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod, Genesis 10, 8. And he began to be a mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, whereof it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So to be, he was a king. And the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel, which means confusion, later in the Bible called Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar ruled and so on. And so we had the introduction of Babel, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Connected with our city, we'll see in a few minutes, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, will not be a hunter, will be a, a different type of a person, will be a shepherd. The Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, huh? John 10, 11. We'll be connected with a shepherd, but Babylon's connected with a hunter. You know if there's a difference between a hunter and a shepherd? A hunter is out to kill, isn't he? For his own pleasure, own needs, meat, skins, whatever, trophies. He's out to kill. A shepherd's not out to kill. A shepherd's out to feed and protect. But Nimrod is a mighty hunter before the Lord. But our Savior is not called a hunter. He is the good shepherd which giveth his life for the sheep, huh? John 10, 11. But that, that is Babel. We'll have a lot more to say that, about that tomorrow. But, but what it is, it's arrogant. It's man's ability. It's man's pride. It's man's wisdom, man's means. We'll have more to say about that tomorrow. But Babylon represents man and all his arrogancy and pride. It's the city of man. And it eventually is brought to an end by God. So going with me to, for example, uh, Revelation. Let's go to the end now. Chapter 14, Revelation 14. So you want to keep your eyes on the city of man and God working out his plan, which is Babylon, the rebellion against God. 
And uh, I could take you to many scriptures, but for now I'm just taking you to this, this one. Revelation chapter 14. And uh, Revelation 14, looking at verse, uh, uh, let me get there here, verse 8. Revelation 14, verse 8. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we come to a great city called Babylon. And much more detail is given in the Bible. But she's fallen. God brings her to an end. The city of man and his pride. That's one city. There's another city connected with planet earth and also connected with heaven that God works out his plans. And it's a city of God. And you know that city is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Let me just show it to you in the old and back in the book of Revelation again. Go with me to 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. God chose this city when the kingdom of Israel came about. Looking at uh, 1 Kings and chapter 11. In verse 36. 1 Kings 11 and verse 36. says this, 1136. And unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light be always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. Babylon will have the stamp of man, and we'll see more about that tomorrow. Jerusalem has the stamp of God, that I have chosen me to put my name there. It is the city of God. It hasn't always lived up to it, but it will in the end in God's eternal plan. So we have the tale of two cities, the city of God and the city of man. Do you ever think there will be a conflict between the two? Do you think Jerusalem might be a target? Maybe it will explain why it's in the news headlines every day. Why aren't all the nations against uh, Fort Lauderdale? You know, it's a pretty city here. <laughs> uh, but they're against Jerusalem. It's a city that bears God's name, His testimony. He, it's the city of God. And the city of man is against it. Jerusalem and Babylon. But in the, in the New Testament, you'll still read of it. We'll go to the end right now. Revelation chapter 21. And he even has a new Jerusalem here. But looking at Revelation 21 and verse 2. Revelation 21 and verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so geographically, you'll want to focus on Babylon and you want to focus on Jerusalem, the city of man and the city of God. So those are some of the main geographic centers on earth that God's plan is carried out on. Uh, we've seen the vehicle will be a human, will be a, a person, the seed of the woman. Uh, the tools will be called dispensations and covenants, legal binding unions and so on, agreements. And, and it's all done by progressive revelation. Uh, finalizing the mysteries revealed to the apostles in step by step. Uh, the heart of God revealed in supernatural revelation. So those are some things that I thought would be helpful to understand as we begin to look at the broad overview of God's eternal plan. 
This will be your template here. Uh, all the things we talked about, if you wrote the word mysteries in, will be here too. And uh, we'll look at a few of them in, in detail more, Lord willing. We have a second session ahead of us after a five-minute break. And you'll need that second handout sheet for your second session. And we're going to try to cover all that in one session. But all the details come later, okay? So, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Generally speaking, it's a human, but that human will turn out to be Jesus. Because seed is just used in such a broad way, right? Seed of Abraham. And it is, until you get to Gen- Galatians 3, but right. that. Then it's specific. That seed is Christ. But we'll, he, he didn't start out right away as a human. So we'll see it had to develop, progressive. Yeah. See, all this light came step by step. When it says her seed, it didn't use Jesus' name, he wasn't born yet although he existed as the Son of God. But all this takes time to play out. It's God's eternal plan that plays out in time and history in what is called dispensation. 